Swinging Bunt listeners, do you hear the beautiful, silky, smooth voice that's coming through the airwaves right now? I'm sure you do. But I have sad news. That is not going to continue for this episode. (laughs) This episode was recorded on my laptop, and the quality of audio is much, much worse than it usually is for my PC. So I want to say I apologize for that. It will not happen again. We will always record from my good old trusty PC here at home, and it'll sound much better from now on. Also, that being said, using the laptop, we lost about 30 minutes of recording time, so there's some missing parts in there, but I tried to smooth it out as best as I can, so apologize for that. Enjoy the show. Stay safe. Don't catch the corona, and we'll talk to you guys later. Enjoy the show. Goodbye. Hello, and welcome to the Swinging Bump Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in in this wild time where uh, we don't really know what's going on with sports, with baseball. We're figuring everything out day by day. Um, but thank you for listening. This is going to be an interesting show. We've got a guest star on today who is our guest host. I mean, we can call him a star. That's fine. we got a guest host on today, Chris Bowles uh, from Ohio, our resident Reds fan. So we're going to talk about the NL Central preview of the season. It's not going to start until at least the middle of May now. So we got a little bit more time to preview, apparently. Um, and then we'll talk about how this coronavirus is affecting baseball, affecting sports, and just kind of affecting our everyday lives a little bit. And uh, then, of course, at the end, Wes and I will talk some Star Wars. Without any further ado, this is the Swinging Bunt Podcast. Thanks for listening. James, Wes, Chris, NL Central preview. Um, I think we can go ahead and just maybe talk about two or three of the teams, and then we'll go ahead and talk about the uh, coronavirus, maybe take a little bit of a break in there, and then we'll finish up with the last two teams. Sound like a plan? Sure thing. Okay, so first things first, let's talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates, who I would expect... Of this talented, or I don't know if I would say talented, of this very deep group of teams, I would say, at first glance, the Pirates are my number five team. Any arguments there? Um, I guess not. I mean, there's definitely three divisions. There's three, two sections in this division. Bottom two, top three, but that's my personal opinion. Okay. And you would say the Pirates bottom. and Reds, in bottom Cincinnati. two? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And Wes, Chris, any calls with that? qualms. No, I, would I, would, I would definitely I would say the Pirates are definitely that bottom group although I do like their rotation uh, they're missing Jamison Ta- 
Tyone, Tyone, Tyone. Tyone. Chris, but you'll learn I do like their, that my co-hosts like here, rotation. Wes and James, are they're great guys, very knowledgeable. But when it comes to pronouncing names that are not like strictly white English, <laughs> it is it is a it is a good laugh. I enjoy it. One of my favorite gotcha. parts of the show. <laughs> Alright, well, nice. well how do you pronounce like his name? Jameson Talon? Ty- Talon? Tyone. <laughs> Jameson Tyone. Ty- oh. Yeah. He's, he's actually from the Woodlands too, but he's out this whole season, so. But mm-hmm. besides him, I mean they got Joe Musgrove, Chris Archer, need to bounce back, but uh you know, Trevor Williams, Mitch Keller, we'll see. So decent little ro- rotation, some potential, but probably not gonna get uh, Yeah, I don't really see much talent there. That's I mean, outside of a few players here and there, that's why I think they're clear bottom player or bottom team chris they they haven't done any they haven't really done anything in the off season mm-hmm. either if you think about it besides letting some of their better bats go mm-hmm. and uh i think the entire division has a pretty decent starting rotation every team absolutely but i think i think that uh of the of the teams i would say that pittsburgh is probably probably number five as well i would agree with that so, looking at their offense, someone's mic just went all wacky all of a sudden, got some feedback. It was me, sorry. Oh, okay. Is that better? Yep, much better. Okay, I can cut that out. I, I had went from my computer to my phone and it messed up. Sorry. No problem. Okay, let's talk about their offense then really quick. So, we got a brief breakdown of their pitching rotation. Chris Archer, he's been a great pitcher most of his career. He had a rough season last year. And they've got a few talented arms behind him, but I don't think really much to contend with. Um, Josh Bell, a solid player. Gregory Polanco, solid player. Jared Dyson, Dyson or Gerard, I don't remember. I think he says Gerard, doesn't he? Yeah. No, I think so. Yep. He's a fa- fast <coughs> outfielder, can steal bases. Um, mm-hmm. But besides that, like, just not a ton of talent really anywhere else. So that's why I just project them personally being one of the bottom five teams. I don't think they're going to be as ba- or bottom teams. They're not going to be as bad as a team like the Marlins or uh, the Orioles, but th- they're not going to be contending. So do any of you guys really know much about their minor league system? If, they're gonna, if they have some guys coming up that we might see this year or anybody that we should be looking for maybe in the coming years? Um, I don't think this season we'll okay. really see much but uh they have a pretty solid future um not the best minor league system i think uh mlb gave them like around number 12 okay. overall if i'm and i could have that completely wrong which i probably do but um they the future is looking pretty decent for pittsburgh i know that whenever teams sell uh they usually go after a lot of prospects and minor leaguers so really um if you look at who they've traded away what they've garnered from those trades as far as minor league prospects uh i'd say as long as they don't trade away any said prospects that uh probably i give them four years four or five years they'll be in it uh assuming they don't get rid of their players and it's always you know a game of chess when it comes to that sort of thing looking at the MLB's rankings, it's got, you were really close, Pittsburgh's at 15. Um, yeah. Their top 100, past, top 100 prospects are Mitch Keller, who's a relief pitcher. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at his stats. He actually had pretty good stats in AAA. Awesome. <coughs> yeah, you know, he dominated in AAA last year. He was up and down with the majors. Every time he came up, it was it was a rocky road, and then he would sit mm, back down and great. dominate in AAA. So, we'll see. 
They have a third baseman who is the number 39 overall prospect. And then, Cabrian Hayes. Yep, Cabrian Hayes. And then O'Neill Cruz is a shortstop. He's number 62 overall prospect. So they've got a few top 100 prospects, three of them actually, to be specific. Um, a couple things I was surprised to see, which was pretty encouraging, is teams like the Indians, Braves, and where are the Astros up there? Indians and Braves are both in the top 12 according to these rankings. So those are that's cool when you can have teams contending for the playoffs and also have a good future behind them too. It means you have a very well run organization. Anyways, mm-hmm. even when you cheat, <laughs> yeah, t- I'm talking about the Braves, not the not the Astros. I'm talking about the Braves. Wait, how did the Braves cheat? I don't remember exactly, but they they were like kind of cheating guys out of money. Oh, you mean like uh, how they signed Acuna to like fifty dollars a no, year? No, that's oh. no, that's that's something totally different. <laughs> but they lost they lost a lot of international money. They lost some picks and stuff. So we could have had a better farm system, but we did lose because they were. Gosh, it was the guy before our current GM, and he got fired, I think, because of it. Yeah, we learned from the Astros. <laughs> can't stand those cheaters. <laughs> I can't believe you, Wes. Um. Okay, I think it's enough of the Pirates because I don't want to bore anyone and put anyone to sleep. we got lots to talk about today. So let's go ahead and move into... Let's talk about the Cubs. I wish we had Jack here. He was always fun to have talk about the Cubs and give his crazy predictions of how they're going to win their second World Series. <laughs> Evaldi. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had him. I wish we had him. He was a fun guy to have on the show, but apparently he's too busy for us these days. Yeah. Well, actually, the place he works at is closed, so he probably could be on. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, they've got talent all over the field. They've got Wilson Contreras catching, Anthony Rizzo at first, Jason Hayward in right, Ian Happ in center, Kyle Schwarber in left, who should be a DH, Chris Bryant at third. Wait, I said that, didn't I? No, I no, didn't. didn't. No, Javier Baez shortstop. Is it Nick Horner at second base? Nico. Nico Horner? I don't know who that is. Maybe. Nico Horner, yep. Good job. Top prospect. And, and don't forget about Bodie off the bench. Yeah, Bodie oh, yeah, Dave Bodie. Good call. And that's just crazy. That's the thing about the Cubs is they have the depth. And with a, t- with a National League team, which me personally not being a National League guy, mm-hmm. having that kind of depth is huge. Just guys that you can play when you have to have a pinch hitter for. I mean, Steven Souza Jr. is big. Uh, Albert Almora is Al- big. Yeah, Ian he could Happ. be a starter anywhere, I'm pretty sure. So, Almora. So it's... Uh, it's good to have guys like that that can come in and hit in a pinch, especially now with the um, three batter minimum rules. Having hitters that can hit both left and right is going to be even more valuable because mm-hmm. you can really stack guys and say, "Oh, yeah, you can't you can't bring in a guy to counter my pinch hitter. He's just going to pitch to this right hander, even though he's a lefty." So it's going to be very interesting. Uh, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to most about the season is seeing how that plays out. Even though I don't like the rule, I'm still interested to see how that plays out strategy wise. Yeah, I think, I personally think that they have a lot of depth, like you said, a lot of offense. Um, They have, I believe the Cubs are doing a dual closer thing, Um, and I could have that wrong too, but uh, Kimbrell and uh, one other um, is going to be, no, I take that back, I think that's the Rockies doing the uh, dual closer thing, but um, they've got Craig Kimbrell, who, uh, vintage Kimbrell is a dominant closer, and so that's good for the bullpen, and... um, Again, a pretty decent starting rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they lost a little bit by losing out on Pedro Strope. Uh, I, I'm really not sure what happened there. But see, I've known some Cubs fans who were glad to see him go. 
which I thought was odd, personally. Yeah, he's a great setup guy, and he's he's known to close out games too if you need him. And so, um, you know, they lost they lost Strope, and then they also lost uh, Nick Castellanos mm-hmm. as well too, which is a pretty significant bat. But he would have been so expensive to keep. They still have a lot of bats. Right. Um, I honestly, I put them in uh, probably one or two for the division. Honestly. The offense is so strong. Yeah, um, because uh, just because of that and because the overall rotation is pretty good, but if teams can get to their bullpen early, uh, I don't know how strong their middle relief is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if they can knock around their starters to get to those middle relievers, I think you could see a lot of high-scoring games. And that's one on thing ends. with the Cubs is their starters are all very inconsistent. You look up mm-hmm. and down that list, and you've got, sure, John Lester was great once, and he still can have those dominant games. But mm-hmm. now at this point in career, his career, he's pretty inconsistent. You Darvish is one of the most inconsistent players in baseball. He can have mm-hmm. one great game or five great innings, then all of a sudden just lose it. Uh, same with yeah. Kyle Hendricks. Uh, Jose Quintana, I would just say he's mostly not great, but can have some good games here and there. <laughs> and then Tyler Chatwood, mm-hmm. I would say same thing. Not great, but can have a good game here and there. So... I honestly think Kyle Hendricks and Jose Quintana are almost identical players, except one's a right-hander, one's a left-hander. Not going to overpower you. They're just kind of kind of look for look for their spots here and there, and they're pretty much guaranteed for you know six or seven innings, three or four runs every game. But I think the I think y'all said it. The the word with this team is just consistency with the whole team. Yeah, um, I would agree. Kyle Hendricks, actually, I shouldn't knock him too hard. He's got a career ERA of 3.14, which is solid. Um, mm-hmm. 63 and 43 win-loss record. And Quintana, career ERA is 3.72. I mean, I, we have to remember, he played pretty well for the White Sox back in the day. No, I'm saying they're, they're solid. They're solid guys, mm-hmm. but, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if they gave you a 4.15 ERA, which isn't, like, awful. Right. But then you wouldn't be surprised if they're anywhere anywhere between three point three and three point or four point one the whole season. Yeah, Quintana, Quintana had a four point six eight last year, which was really rough. Um, but he's also playing in a division that has really great offenses, so that's that's going to happen. It's bound to happen. And Hendricks has had honestly he's had four pretty good years straight. And twenty sixteen was his by far best year. It was two two point three two point one three ERA. And then the next three years, he's been just a little bit over three, going higher and higher. Um, but those guys, it's a pretty good rotation and a really good offense. So I would agree that I could see them being anywhere between one and three in the division. Um, I think it's going to be a tight race between those three top teams. Didn't they get a new manager, too? Or is Madden still you No, know, Madden's gone. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, David, yeah, really. so also, David so Ross. You've also got, so you've also got, well, there's a familiar face there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you also have that new leadership. Uh, that is always, you know, you never, as my dad would always say, the first 30 games will explain all that, how the leadership style and the management mm-hmm. style might be. Because you got one guy who ended a 105-year drought for the Cubs, and so Cub fans are just, you know, they're they're praising Madden because mm-hmm. of what he did. And then so anybody new who comes in be like, so this is the guy that we got to replace our World Series champion manager, you know. So well, there's, there's if their World Series champion, K 
catcher who had a big game-tying home run in Game 7 of the World <laughs> Series, too. So it's not like they're going to someone they don't know. That's true, too. Yeah. That's true, too. But, like, yes. Uh, you know. you say the same thing about the Cleveland Browns were going to their offensive coordinator, right? Freddie Kitchens. But you know, <laughs> we all saw that worked out. That, so that's a little different. Yeah, I would say that's a little not different. Freddie Kitchens level, is an not, incompetent not like, they didn't win the super. They didn't win the Super Bowl either. Yeah, that, yeah, that's where I was kind of going with that. So, yeah, that's right. a good point there. But kind of like the familiarity didn't really work out for them. But I'd say it'd be more like going from Bill Belichick to Tom Brady. Like Which Bill Belichick would, moves and Tom Brady's the head coach. I'd say that's a better yeah, a would, better uh, comparison. I would say like, like Bill to McDaniel's. Well, and I can I can give a little bit of a you know ex- memory on this, like because Eric Davis was selected to be the Reds manager. I think it was uh, when was it? It was probably uh, in the early two thousands, maybe late nineties, and. You know, everybody was like, Eric Davis, 1990 World Series champion, right? And uh, Reds fans were all about it. And then he was fired after, I think, 75 games because he did so bad. And um, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's players out there that are phenomenal managers. You know, uh, Joe Girardi, Mm -hmm. um, like Aaron Boone's not doing bad with the Yankees. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you've got that. I just know that... It seems to be one way or the other on the pendulum. They're either really good or they're gone in 75 games. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think uh, time will tell, you know, as far as as far as that goes. Like, uh, obviously, he has good chemistry with the majority, if not all, the players that are currently playing because they were there in 2016. Um, but he I was think Grandpa that, Ross. All right. Time out, listeners. I have a little bit of an apology to make uh, for some reason i thought you know what let's record this show using my laptop rather than my home pc because i want to be able to see your guys' beautiful faces i want you to see mine uh meaning my co-host not you guys because we don't put it up on youtube or anything but that did not go very well um we ended up losing about 30 minutes of recording time so the next 20 minutes of the show were lost where we talked about the brewers and the cardinals we also talked about the coronavirus and how it affects baseball, how it affects sports, how it just affects our everyday lives. Just one of those. It was a really interesting conversation. Um, so I am bummed out that you guys missed it. But later on, when I have Coach Garrison on and we put in the interview for that, we'll be able to talk about that in a little bit of depth. Um, but yes, you will be missing a little bit of a little bit of info, a little bit of discussion. And later on, there's about another 10 minutes that we lost as well. So apologies. Please stick around, and enjoy the rest of the show. There's still some really good stuff in there. And now back to the show. So some of the really interesting conversations that we had during the show were talking about the Brewers roster and the Cardinals roster in which we discussed the Brewers having a surprisingly strong starting pitching staff even though they don't have a ton of recognizable names. We also discussed the amazing offense that they do have with Yelich, um, bringing in Eric Sogard, having so many other pieces around the field like Ryan Braun and others. They've still got a good team, a good, well-rounded team, not to mention having Josh Hader in a solid bullpen. And we also talked about how having the shortened season, we know that baseball is not going to start until at least mid-May, may actually help them because towards the end of the year last year, their their pitchers clearly got tired and were hoping that, um, or were thinking that perhaps having a shortened season could really help them. So that's the Brewers' quick synopsis. We spent about 10 or 15 minutes on them, and I'm spending about 10 or 15 seconds on them because I want to get you guys going. We still have good stuff to talk about. So sorry you missed that content, but it's pretty solid stuff. 
Anyways, Brewers, we said we all expect to be one of the top three teams. Some of, some of us had us winning, had them winning the first, winning the division. Some of us had them getting second in the division, while others said third. But we all agreed they're top three team in the division. So then we get on to the Cardinals, which I personally did not was not aware how little I knew about the Cardinals. There's a lot of solid guys in that team, solid young players. Um, one of the best to mention is Jack Flaherty, a true ace in the major leagues. And he's a young, solid pitcher who I really enjoy watching. Um, they still got Paul Goldschmidt there and many others. Again, I won't go all the way back into detail on it because I feel like that's not the content you guys want. You want this discussion. So, um, the Cardinals, we said, I believe Chris and Wes, I think, said they believed they could win the division. Me and James were a little bit lower on them, thinking that the Cubs and Brewers were a little bit better. But all three of us agreed that the top three in that division could shuffle, which is why we said this is one of the most interesting divisions in baseball, because once we get to the Reds later, we talk about how really all four of those teams, I think, are going to be really close in the standings come the end of the year. We do have teams that we have as favorites, but I think this is one of the most interesting divisions because the Cardinals, Cubs, Brewers, and Reds all have a lot of talent, and they're really going to be contending against each other. I think a lot of those division games are going to be very, very important in the standings and very important in the season because this year, each individual game is going to weigh so much more because we're cutting out you know, around 30 games at least this season. So it's going to be very interesting, very interesting stuff to talk about. Um, at this point... I'll throw you back into the discussion that we had where we were talking about the Cardinals, and I think after that we jumped straight into the Reds. All right, here you go. Back to our original discussion. So, um, yeah, with the Cardinals, it's going to be a weird season for me. I'll try to watch them a little bit more because clearly I don't know enough about them. They do have a fella uh, with the last name of Ponce de Leon, so that's pretty nice. Wasn't he like an explorer back player. in the day? Ponce He's a good ball player. Yeah. Daniel. Yeah. Yep, sure was. Jake. Yeah. Yep, that's him. Hey, that's the one. You know what? He could um, be like reincarnated. I think Ponce de Leon was looking for the Fountain of Youth, wasn't he? Well, this thing called... Uh... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's who it was. It's him. We found him. Found him. <laughs> Didn't even bother to change his name. Yeah. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get on to what we brought Chris on for in the first place. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds from OHIO. Uh, I think they're one of the most interesting teams in baseball this year. Not because of so much of what I expect them to do, but because I think they have a lot of unknowns. Um, they've got Castellanos. They've got Old Man Vado. They've got Nick Senzel. Um, Freddie Galvis, too. Mike Moustakis. They're trying to make a run here. I think that could be really interesting. I could see them sneaking up. You didn't even name their best player. Who'd I miss? Suarez, he's their best player. Okay, yeah, I didn't even look at him. I'm, I'm talking yeah, about. I'm talking because here's what, here's what I said. I was talking about the unknowns, James. Oh, oh I see how you do that. All yeah. right, Pence de Leon, let's keep going. <laughs> I said yeah, we're talking about the unknowns. Of course, Suarez, yes. you know he's going to ball out. <laughs> what did he hit? Like 49 home runs last year. That's 49. Crazy. Yeah. Yep. And 103 RBI. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty solid number. His yeah. home run, his home run total has gone up every year that he's been a red. He he started with the Tigers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if one uh, year he started with the Tigers, and then uh, we traded Alfredo Simon mm-hmm. to the Tigers to get Eugenio Suarez. Uh, he is signed. 
He signed a nine-year, thirty-six million contract. That's friendly. That's friendly. And and we have so the Reds have him for through twenty twenty-five. I believe it was sixty-six million. Was it sixty-six? Somebody else signed a thirty-six nine mil. I've. Oh, I think that was Brandon Phillips. Remember him? Yeah, I'm looking anyway. at uh, <laughs> to the Braves. Oh, I know him. Yeah, but he, uh, he, we, the Reds have him through 2025. Um, you know, full control. So I mean, there's no issues there. Uh, but yeah, the Reds spent have spent 164 million dollars this off season, and uh, it's the most that they have ever spent in an off season in the franchise history, uh, which. <clears throat> to what you were saying, Jake, is there's a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. Um, I I personally felt like they needed to get at least, you know, one more starting pitcher, and I I felt like they did that last year towards the end of the season by picking up Trevor Bauer. Um, They're they listing Bauer me. as their three. That's very interesting. Well, Luis Castillo is a beast. Yes, I agree uh, with that. Luis, Luis Castillo, um, he'll be their he'll be their number one, mm-hmm. uh, and then you've got um, Sonny Gray. You've got you've got Sonny Gray. He'll be their number two, which you know they can probably flip flop at any moment. Um, then you got Trevor Bauer. You've got Anthony DiSclefani, who um, he's probably more of a three. He'll probably give up three runs on average, but he's in like still a five not, inning or more, four, four or five inning outing. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's not. You know, he's not terrible. I think that he's dramatically improved over the last couple of years. Um, and then uh, you'll have Wade Miley in there, too. And didn't uh, Wade now, Miley have somewhat of a resurgence last year? He did. Yeah. I believe so. Like yeah. Four, yeah, 14 and 6. But, That's pretty solid. But mm-hmm. but he was on cheat in Houston. Season, That's what it was. <laughs> well, the last month of the season, though, his ERA bumped up to like 15. He just completely lost his mind that last month of the season. But if he can find where he was early in the season, he'll have stud. He just completely lost his mind last year. Yeah. And then, you know, some of the other guys that stayed that I think are pretty decent impact players. You got Michael Lorenzen, who... Um, oh, yeah. What a beast he, that, that man is. He he also plays in the outfield, mm-hmm. and the dude is just a monster. Yeah, I um, love that guy. And so, like... Uh, I, I follow him on Instagram, which I, I know anybody can, and he's constantly working out all the time. Oh, yeah, he's um, jacked. And he the is dude, jacked. And the dude's a beast, yeah. Um, and then, let's see who else we got there. Uh, Aristides Aquino, he's kind of a wild card for me because he had an amazing August. I think he had 15 home runs in August, and he bottomed out in September. Um you know, uh, and so he's kind of a wild card. Nick Senzel, he's got to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, Eugenio Suarez is, you know, hopefully he'll repeat, if not do better than what he did last year, um, you know, with 49 homers and 103 RBIs. Votto needs to have a bounce back year. And and so he's been struggling the past probably two years, and he admits that. And uh, he's still been on base a lot. He started doing this... Um, it's kind of like a check swing, I call it, where it's not a full swing. It's more like a half swing where he's, I know what he's trying he's to do. Committing. He's not committing. He's trying to make contact mm. is what he's trying to do. He's trying to be more of a contact hitter versus is, what he used to be. Yeah. Which is, which is fine. But if, and, and, you know, you guys, you guys play baseball. I mean, I got to play to who little, you are. 
you got to play to who you are, and if you change your swing at any point, it's going to mess you up. So, and funny story. My sophomore year of so my freshman year of college, I really struggled. Sophomore year, I hit 300 and started over half the games. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to try to hit more doubles, try to hit in the gap, you know. So I changed my swing over the summer with a buddy of mine working on it and started getting a leg kick in and started hitting really hard in the batting cage. I went on that season to hit like 085 as a junior. <laughs> so, yes, I can validate what you're saying. What did you say was? The whole team did terrible. Yeah, to be fair, the whole team did have a rough junior year. Yeah. Well, welcome to what Joey Votto is going through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he went from a number three hitter to a number two hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, there was occasional, uh, several games where he, he batted leadoff, which I don't think that that was really a good spot for him. And I think part of that is because of a rookie manager. Um, and then, uh, you know, he just he just needs to have a bounce back year. Uh, and so those are kind of those are most of the uh, the faces that have been there and who's going to come back type deal. Um, and then you've got Russ Rysel Iglesias. Uh, as a closer, you cannot have a record of two and thirteen. Yeah, um, that's <laughs> that is that, rough. <laughs> and so, because uh, I mean, you think about it, like with the way the Reds played, they won seventy seventy five games last year. So if Rysel Iglesias does not lose 13, his 13 losses pinned on him. So let's say he loses, uh, let's say he loses eight. You know, you're almost a 500 team now uh, at 80 wins. Um, you know, and then if you if you go from there and like uh, you take away half of those losses, then the Reds are right there. But uh, and they had 20. Oh goodness. He had 20-plus, I'm going to say 20-plus, that way I don't butcher the stat, 20-plus one-run loss games. Uh, and so they were right there. Um, Sonny Gray, That's a lot of games that could have gone the other way. Yes. Uh, Sonny Gray was in the Cy Young talks for a good while. Um, so, I mean, there, there was that as well, too. Now, you talk about improvements that they've made. Um, Wade Miley... Uh, they picked up Pedro Strope from the Cubs. They picked up Nick Castellanos from the Cubs. They picked up Mike Moustakis from the Brewers. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I think that they are going to do better in the division. I don't think I can give them the division. Being, I know being a Reds, avid Reds fan, I don't think I can give them the division. And that's good because I don't think that they're quite there yet, but I could see them being one of the top teams in the division over the next several years. I do give them I do give them 85 to 90 wins though. Yeah, I would say so, that's fair. I would say that's a very fair estimate. I could see them so, getting number 2 in the division. So yeah. if they if they win the division with 85 to 90 wins, then they win the division. Um, you know, they've got a they they practically owned the Cubs last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they uh, you know, they did sweep the Astros in the three game set that they had with the Astros. Um, <clears throat> In Houston, and so uh, you know, there's there's a number of varying factors. One thing, as a Reds fan, I really appreciate the fact that the front office is trying to do something, and I really do hope that they're in the in the positive 82 82 or wins or better, because if not, it's going to be a long time. Now, 
their farm system is looking very good. Uh, you've got Nick Lodolo, who is an incredible pitching prospect. Hunter Green can throw 102 miles an hour. Uh, Jonathan India, he's got some power and speed. You've got Siri, who has some speed as well, too. Um, thanks, you just activated my phone. <laughs> Say what? I said, thanks, you just activated my phone by saying Siri. <laughs> oh, my bad. But, <laughs> <It's okay>. um, <laughs> you know, you've got... They, they definitely have a very strong future, too. And then Aristides Aquino, like, uh, he came in in August, and he was in the minors, too. Uh, there's, you know, and then Garcia as well, too. Um, I forget his first name, but Garcia, he's he's got, right now, uh, he's leading the league in home runs for spring training. So they're, toss, so they're tossing around the idea of putting him, you know, on the, on the major league roster. I personally think that he'll be in single A because... I, he's really young. Yeah, but, you don't want to bring those um, guys into the majors too early. Oh yeah, it's yeah, and so it's but, so cool to see, like you said, going just through a list of guys. That's like, I mean, you've, you've got Barnhart who can make an impact. The Reds have mm-hmm. all these guys that can make a great impact, and that's why I say they're one of the most interesting teams in the division. They have these guys who are like, I want to see what they can do. I mean, even Garrett, he was a, a very – Amir Garrett, that's his name, right? Yeah. Amir Garrett had a lot of interesting things happen around him last year. Uh, there's just a lot of mm-hmm. storylines for the Reds, free agent signings, people like Trevor Bauer who are throwing Sandlot games when during this uh, baseball hiatus, you know, doing crazy things. Mm-hmm. You've got people who are coming new to the team – Prospects like Senzel, who could be a star, Freddie Galvis, all kinds of really cool things that can happen where if everything went right for the Reds this season, they could easily be in the playoffs as either a wildcard team or maybe win the division. But then there's a lot of things that could go the wrong way, and I could see them being the third team in the division too. So one of the most interesting teams in baseball, I definitely in this division, I would say. I, w- I will say that, I recant my statement for earlier. I didn't realize all the moves the Reds have made. I haven't looked at their I looked at their lineup before this, so I definitely have the Pirates at the bottom, and I have them up there. With the, I had them even with the Cubs. I would say I would put them um, around like, the Cubs as well. I think that the Brewers, Cardinals are my two leaders, and I would put the Reds and Cubs around the same area. That's my opinion. Yep. yep. Wherever eighty-five Although and ninety wins, put them. Yeah. No, go ahead. You mentioned that the. Uh, the Reds swept the, the Astros last season. On our, just in our defense, the cameras were malfunctioning. That oh. <laughs> yes, I love it, Wes. Keep it up. You're getting back on my good side. Nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, good thank stuff. you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, All right. If you, if oh, you go ahead. Remember, yeah. If you remember, last season the Reds made a lot of noise in the offseason too. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody was excited, myself included, because, you know, now all of a sudden you got Yasiel Puig, you've got mm-hmm. uh, Matt Kemp, you've got... Uh, you Puig know, still Wood. unsigned, too. And then all of a sudden, like, you've got all these guys who are known to be hitters and RBI machines that are batting 045 to start in the month of mm-hmm. April. Like, Yasiel Puig batted 090 for the month of April. And I'm like, okay, I thought this guy was good. Um, like, uh, you know, he's supposed to be getting 20 something million dollars a year. Right. Why is he batting 095 in April? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, it, it, cause they started off the season last year, one and eight. And that really deflated everybody after 
the moves that they made right. with some of the blockbuster trades. You know, they traded off Homer Bailey and stuff like that. But this offseason has been much different because they haven't traded, they've signed. And that's what's been kind of, you know, crazy for me is like, you know, uh, Nick Castellanos, Mike Moustakis, Wade Miley, Pedro Strobe. Um, you know, there are guys that are that were on the team last year that were on the team for the full season that I don't know if they're going to make the team this year because of the signings that they've done. And they got Freddie Galvis, too, at the end of the year last year as well, too. Um, so that's that makes it interesting and exciting yeah. as a Reds fan. Um, again, I, I, I think they're close, but I don't think that they'll take the division. I think that the NL Central is going to be the most entertaining division to watch I, in baseball. And I think so, too. I think there's going to be a really tight race among three of these teams, maybe four of them. So I'm really excited for it. We do have to move on to talk about our... Uh, important stats. So, Chris, this is one of my favorite parts of the show where I, once in a while, I'll bring one to the table, but I usually let James and Wes surprise me with an interesting stat or story. Uh, once in a mm-hmm. while, Wes will try to fight back with making fun of one of our teams, so we'll see if he has something like that to say. But, James, okay. Wes, what do you guys have for me today? Uh, I guess I'll go first. Uh, that's why I said <laughs> your name first. <laughs> what a guy. All right, um... So I was looking up. It's, it was it's kind of getting harder because I did all the stories I've done so far are stories that I already kind of knew, so I could just search them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been really looking, and today I came across um, a list of the top fifty best seasons of by players, um, and I'm going to discuss the top the three top, and the, the top fifty one. seasons ever. Yeah. So okay, gotcha. basically, how mm-hmm. good of a season they had. Sure. And, sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, number one is obviously who do you think it is? Um, are you calculating this by war? Uh, I don't know what it's calculated by, but war is a big part of it. Yes, I'm gonna say Babe Ruth. Ted Babe Williams. Ruth is number one. Ah. Who is uh, it? And this Babe. is what it says about him: um, How does one top an all-time great season in 1920, where many records were shattered and Babe Ruth found a way? Um, he batted 278. With 59 home runs, 171 RBIs, and 177 runs. Holy cow. Putting up the all-time best war ever with 14.0. As for how dominant he was that year, only one player managed a war above 10. His slugging percentage was 200 points higher than everyone else in the league. Wow. And his highest home run total was 24 more than second-place guy. So I wonder, with so it says the next highest war was... Not only one of the players above 10. Now, remind me on how war is calculated. It means wins above replacement. Is that calculated above replacement players all time? So like the average player. So that means he's saying that above an average player at his position, he would he contributes essentially 14 wins to the team's success. Would that be calculated among all the players during that season or players that had been calculated up to that point? Because if, uh, It has to be over all time. It has to be. Okay. Because you would want it to be consistent among yes. all players. Because if other players were down during a current season, then that that number would obviously be skewed. Yeah, I, sorry. I mean, this is where I, my I math brain goes. But I, I feel like it has. To, I mean, it has to be over like just the average player in that position ever, always. Yeah. Okay. Sure. We'll go with that. Okay. Anywho, all right. Number two. I'm going to skip right now. Number three. Can you guess who number three is? Jeez, I don't know. Is it a pitcher? No. 
Okay, is it an outfielder? He, uh, off the top of my head, I don't, this is going to sound bad, but I don't know what position is. All right, it's Mickey Mantle. Oh, my gosh. Uh, All right. There you go. All right. As dominant as Mickey Mantle was in his prom, he may have been even more so up as an up-and-comer. In 1956, he had not only had the best season, but one of the greatest ever. This year, Mantle won his first MVP award. He batted three fifty three, fifty two home runs, 130 RBIs, and a 12.9 war. The wow. next highest war of a player was Duke Snyder at 7.7. So he's 5.2 ahead of everyone. His slugging percentage was 100 points higher than Ted Williams. Wow. Wow. So that shows you how dominant that season was. And that's the number three best player. Now, number two is the interesting one to me. Um, go ahead. Guess who it is? <laughs> it's a pitcher. I'll tell you that. It's a pitcher. Mm, I hope it's not a, a Yankee. Nope. I'm going to say Cy Bob Feller. Cy Young. No, it is Walter Pedro Johnson. Martinez. Oh, yeah, that makes oh. sense. Okay, Pedro Martinez's win-loss record in 2000 was nothing special at 18-6. and six. The rest of his numbers that year, however, were phenomenal. He led the league with four shutouts, had 284 strikeouts, had a 1.74 ERA, and the next highest was a point below, a full point below him, around a full point below him in the AL. Uh, the second place one was Roger Clemens, who ER, I don't understand why it says that. Whatever, he had a 10.1 war, and you have perhaps the best season ever. And I looked up his stats this year. Which ones he led? He led wins above replacement. He led over all players in that year. He won war over pitchers. He had the lowest ERA. He had the lowest walks and hits per inning pitch. He had the lowest hits per nine innings pitch. He had... Um, the most shutouts, as I said already. He had the most strikeouts per base on balls. Um, he had... Okay, this is getting really deep. He had the most adjusted <laughs> ERA+. plus. He had the highest fielding independent pitching. Highest adjusted pitching runs. Highest p- adjusted pitching wins. So, some favorite, base so he was base. really good, you're saying? He, yeah, yes. He was. he. It was the most dominant season. Second most dominant season ever, according to this list. Which, most dominant as a pitcher, yeah. though, for sure. Yes, yeah. yes. So he's the number one as a pitcher. What year was and, that? Uh, Two thousand. Nice. I was too young. I was only five. I don't remember. Yeah, what a child. Yeah, I was a whopping ten. <laughs> I was a sophomore. Ooh. In college or high school? <laughs> high school. <laughs> Give me some credit. <laughs> uh, is that all? I, so that's that is. Those are pretty good stats. That's an interesting take. I did, I didn't know. I guess I should have guessed, babe. I just thought maybe it wouldn't be so obvi- obvious. Um, Wesley, what do you have? All right, so we, we all remember when James did the Tony Gwynn thing. That yes. was really cool. So kind of on the same kind of idea with this division. Y'all tell me uh, who y'all think it is whenever y'all – whenever I'm going to give y'all some stats. Oh, one of so, these again. Okay. Um, yeah, so we got uh, – let's see – go with something not as easy drew more than and this is in the nl central drew more than 80 walks in six seasons uh let's see hit uh, hit under 309 seasons uh had more than 210 hits in, in a season three times didn't play fewer than 100 games in a season until his last season had more than a 400 OBP in five seasons. Led the NL in doubles in five seasons. 
uh, let's see, played 162 games in a season six times, 163 in a season twice. All right, now let's go to, let's see here. Led the NL in singles only three times. Are you saying that it, he played it, for the NL Central? He played in an NL Central team. Correct? Yeah, I've got my guess. All right, led I'll the it. NL in hits seven times. That probably gave it away, mm-hmm. but um, let's see. Had 86 hits and 268 playoff at-bats for a 321 average. And had more than 700 plate appearance in, appearances in 15 seasons. Who, do you, who is it? Pete Rose? Pete Rose. There we go. Once you started saying all the different hit stats, I was like, this guy's got a lot of hits. I was like, NL Central, famous NL Central player. Lots of hits. It's got to be Pete Rose. Although it could have been many other people as well, but still, I figured. A funny thing, though, I think it's funny that Jake or James brought up Mickey Mantle because Mickey Mantle had said about Pete Rose, uh, you know, if I tried to hit singles my whole career like Pete Rose, I'd have hit 450 one season. Did <laughs> 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 so, you know that someone once asked Mickey Mantle um, if he ever went up the plate trying to hit home runs? He said, sure, every time. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mickey Mantle. Yeah, he's great. That's good stuff. All right, at this time, listeners, I've got my old baseball coach, old as in previous baseball coach, not old. He's a young, young, ripe age of forty-five, and uh, <laughs> um, and my buddy James on here. So, Coach Garrison is the coach of the Maranatha Baptist University SaberCats, where me and James went to college, or James and I went to college. Played for him for four years, a great role model of mine. And I just kind of wanted to get his uh, opinion and viewpoint on how this coronavirus has affected his life and affected his players and just college baseball in general. And just what you've seen and how this has just been a really big impact on the lives of a lot of people that are in your circle. So, Coach, go ahead and take it away and take out. let me know some interesting um, things that you noticed right off the bat and things that you would want to talk about. Well, I had a I had a meeting with my players today, and we talked about the impact of it. Uh, we, of course, just closed campus yesterday, and we'll be switching to all online here starting on Thursday. But of course, that uh, that ended our season. Um, we're an independent, which means that we had a lot of games scheduled against conference other schools who were members of conference mm-hmm. conferences. And uh, so had even had we not closed, all the other conferences have canceled their seasons. Right. And and so we would have not had any games anyway had, had we remained open. Mm-hmm. But I met with the guys today, and my comment to them was, you guys are disappointed uh, in the fact that you lost your season. Every baseball player in America is disappointed right, right now because this thing has impacted all the way from MLBers to – minor leaguers to college players to high school players all the way down yeah little league so everything every baseball player, everything everything it's going to have a uh, a nationwide effect but every every baseball player uh, uh in our country is really disappointed but but i told them this i said keep it in perspective understand that that we're disappointed that our season went away. Mm-hmm. But I want you to think I want you to think about guys who 
maybe are on Division One teams right now. Right. That uh, that may and the College World Series, you know, which happens at the end of June, mm-hmm. has already been canceled. Here we are in mid March, and that that event, which takes place at the end of June, has already been canceled. So you think of guys. Uh, I was I had this thought about guys who are members of Division One baseball college baseball teams who are on the brink of getting uh, signed by major league teams exactly and now they now they don't have a team now they don't have a season there's no place uh, for them to, to showcase their talent there is no place mm-hmm. and so I mean I, I even I even mentioned to them uh, you know basketball players who are marginal players maybe you know there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, uh, d1 athletes out there that are not scholarship players mm-hmm. but hope to play themselves into a scholarship we, right. you know, we hear of that often where a a player, you know, really contributes, and then he's a walk-on uh, this year, and then he gets offered a scholarship next year. Mm-hmm. But now he doesn't have that, you know, the, he doesn't have that March Madness to uh, uh, to showcase his. Yeah, talent. there's no yeah, national there's stage. Nothing. nothing. It's no, just all taken no away. Mm-hmm. It's all gone away. It's just all gone away. And Wes it's and very I. Unfortunate. Wes and I talked about that yesterday. We played four years of baseball for the pure love of yep. the game. Both of us knew we never had a chance to you know, progress through right. to the majors. We just wanted to play the game. And it would have been huge to have my senior season taken away. I mean, it was one of the greatest years of my life. I loved it. But you think about yeah. guys, like you said, who their career and their livelihood was in a large portion depending on this season. And yep. that chance is just taken away now, um, especially for college guys who, I mean, especially senior year. A lot of guys don't even play until their senior year. And then they can just shine, and, and next thing they know, they're a relief pitcher in the minors um, yep. because they had one amazing season and their arm developed. Those guys are missing on not just a year of showing themselves to the country, but a year of development, too. Exactly right. Yeah, I told the guys today, I said, all of us sit here disappointed that our season went away, but we're not talking about our careers and our futures. Mm-hmm. Those guys are. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I remember. I, that's a, I, I think just a dynamic uh, impact on those guys. I remember just days where we had a rain delay and everyone was all pouty and like, oh man, oh, yeah. we had a game this weekend. What do we do now? <laughs> and yeah, we would right. play a wiffle ball game. I mean, then to just seeing today, your wiffle ball game was not just a rain makeup game like we used to play back in the day. This was your makeup game for the whole season. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's a somber yeah. thought. It really is. Now, yesterday, sadly, when we recorded this, I didn't give James a chance to give any of his opinions on anything because I talked so much. So, James, what do you have to say? Um, what I was just going to say is that, you know, there there are pros and cons to the whole impact of the coronavirus and the fact that the pros is just that you've seen, like, celebrities, you've seen athletes like Kevin Love was the first one to do it, Mark Cuban just to willingly give up some of their own to help out other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with America, how it is right now, I mean, it's so divided um, over our so much stuff, so many different things, and something so tragic as the coronavirus that's pretty much ruining people's lives and their jobs and stuff, just to see how people in America are coming together um, just to help out other people, it's really, really encouraging. I don't know, people um, are still taking all the toilet paper. You know, toilet paper is a whole different scenario. It's a beast. You got to get what you got to get in that. Every man um, for himself. But then there's the other side of the thing, like all these people, like like we just talked about, that now they may not have 
Um, they might not make an MLB team because they didn't get the season to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, really like, and for me and you and other people, it's really hard. I mean, we're, we're huge sports fans and it's a huge part of our lives. And um, it's just, it's like a piece of us was taken away just by something as small as a virus. It's yeah. insane to think about. But then you go ahead and you keep it all in perspective too. While it may not affect us, I mean, I go outside every day, and I, my life is exactly the same without the fact that I'm not going to school, but, like, I take my dog for a walk, the sun shines, the birds chirp, everything looks all fine and dandy, but there are people who are dying from this. We have to keep that in yes. perspective and be like, you know what, while sports is such an important thing to us, there are things that are far, far more important, and I think that the government and the uh, athletics associations, they're making the right decision by saying, yes, our young athletes may just get a few symptoms if they even catch it. And we may be able to continue our season. But the fact is we have to be responsible and protect those who are susceptible to this and protect this from being anything else. I mean, a virus can quickly mutate and become worse. So you have to be responsible with everything that happens. I know that early on I was even one of the people that said, this is dumb. People are taking this way too far. Same thing as the swine flu and the bird flu. It's all going to go away. But when you think about it, it would be unre- it would be irresponsible to for the agencies for the leagues to say and the associations to say you know what we want to keep making millions of dollars every game and we're going to have our players go out there every day and have thousands of people pile into our stadiums to be potential breeding hubs for this virus so i think it really makes sense and it's the, the right thing to do as disappointing as it may be Mm-hmm. It's very disappointing at the time, but we may look back on this. And and uh, I, I, I heard someone say the other day that uh, if you think about the, our response to this, we may never know if we overreacted, mm-hmm. but we'll certainly know if we underreacted. Exactly. We'll know that. Mm-hmm. The, the decisions that have been made in the last week or two could be the reason that this looks like an overreaction. If yes. people are continuing to meet and to go across the country and go into airports and go into work, going to school. That's how something like this could spread and to become a, you know, a true pandemic that shuts down the economy, shuts down everything. And if we're able to say, just everyone stay home, let this thing run its cycle for however many months, this could be what makes it seem like an overreaction. Hopefully that's the case. Yep. Um, one thing that's been really hard is the high school sports, which I think we should talk about. A lot of these kids, the, one of the peaks of a lot of people's lives is their senior, use, senior season of high school sports. I know it's a silly thing to say, but it's true. People look back at their high school career and say, that was the glory days when I was playing in front of my whole family and all my friends at the state championship, um, the thing that I worked toward for 15 years of my life. I finally got there, finally did it. And there were teams who were in their warm-ups for their championship game or their sectionals game when it got canceled. And I think back to um, Mitch Allen, my friend, is coaching a girls' basketball team that was likely going to win state, and then their games all got canceled. And it's like, how how devastating is that to say, you know what, we could have just played a five-on-five or whatever, a basketball game with just the refs and still had our season completed. Um, and it's got to be so frustrating, especially when – probably none of them got sick or will get sick. I mean, you have high school students, it's not really affecting, you know? So I, I understand the frustration that I'm seeing from a lot of parents. Uh, my baseball season coaching for the, for the team I coach just got canceled. 
so I know how that my students are feeling. They're all talking to me saying, Coach, how, what are we going to do for uh, this summer? Are we even going to play the summer, summer ball? And I'm like, I don't know, guys. I don't know what we're going to do. You might miss out on a whole year of baseball. You might miss out on even more than that. So it's a, a really tough thing just to approach and to even talk about because you don't know what you can say except for it's probably the right decision. That, that's a good point. You just, you, you're just left without answers. Mm-hmm. This thing is leaving all of us without answers, uh, yet we're, we're expected to, and, and it's right, we're, we've got to be the ones who offer some uh, stability to these kids. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. And that's exactly right, stability, because now they're all going back home, a lot of kids taking care of their younger siblings while their parents are going out to work, their parents who sometimes can't afford to put three meals a day on the table and re- relied on the school to give their children breakfast and lunch, and now they've got to find some way to feed three or four or more kids at home three meals a day. So luckily it's been cool to see a lot of communities. Like I know that my town is a, re- a lot of people have been coming and donating food to the school system, which is distributing meals out to uh, students who need the food. Um, and a lot of different approaches are going on with like schools like my school for instance is trying to provide enrichment and uh, resources for students who want to further their education during this time but they're not making like a mandatory uh, outlined schooling system because a lot of kids don't have online resources a lot of kids wouldn't be able to keep up with the structure that's required and um, it's just frustrating because you think these kids are missing a, a half a year of education they're missing crucial development that they really need, social development, and we know there's going to be kids sitting at home for weeks on end playing video games, not getting the, the development that they need. So a lot of teachers are frustrated, I know for sure, because we want our stu- the, what's best for our students, and we know that outside of protecting them from this virus, this is not what's best for the students. It's a very tough situation. Um, okay, Coach, before we go... I've got to get your opinion on the NL Central and the Cincinnati Reds. So we talked about it, and me and James, I think, and Wes, when we were going through the division, we agreed this is probably our worst division as far as our personal knowledge goes. So I want to know how do you see this division shaking up if the season does indeed start back up again. Well, I like the Reds. I like the moves that the Reds have made. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they ready to contend? Are they ready to contend for the division title? I I don't know just yet. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm a little I'm a little skeptical of their pitching staff. I I, I think we've made some good moves on the uh, on the day to day lineup, the, the everyday lineup, the position players. Uh, Castellanos is a huge add. Uh, the, that's that's going to be huge. But, Especially in a small ballpark like a, Cincinnati. Exactly. A lot of exactly. his doubles in Detroit are going to turn into homers. Exactly right. Yeah, he's going to be huge. He he'll be uh, he'll be large in Cincinnati, very large. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like our bullpen. We we had a great bullpen last year, uh, but I'm still concerned about that starting pitching, and we'll just have to see how that uh, performs. But but I like our everyday lineup. That's, that's, that's nothing wrong with that. So, I know you you aren't a, a big Bauer guy. Because of his attitude and his persona, he's not like a real, you know, purist when it comes to baseball. But how do you feel? Are you aware of the his multimedia company and how he's promoting a lot of different engagement in the sport? 
Uh, I'm not familiar with that, but I know a lot of his antics, and he's uh, he's definitely on the edge. There's no yeah. question about that. <laughs> when he was in Cleveland and he threw the ball over center field fence, I was like, yeah, I'm ready for you to go, bud. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I needed to see was that. <laughs> um, he's definitely definitely a little full of himself, but I do think yeah, he's got he's some good right. ideas as far as player availability for media and stuff goes. I think that a lot of the things that he's doing is going to try to is going to help the game if MLB could adopt some of his practices. But he's not the most um, I don't know user friendly kind of player out there. <laughs> no, no, he. Uh, certainly, there's no question about it. He, he's uh, he he's not short on uh, sharing his opinion. No, no question. That is that. very true. <laughs> but and I, and I like that about him, I suppose. But at some point, you know, it begins to it begins to maybe uh, grind on you a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I but I like I like his uh, he's assertive. No question about that. Yeah, I think that he's going to be really good for the Reds um, because they're really buying into his. Um, pitching philosophy and how he works so much on the mechanics and on the science of baseball and he was a he was a really great pitching coach for the indians i think he'll do a lot for the reds pitching staff as well um i know that shane bieber followed bauer very closely and he's developing into an ace so i think that that'll help the reds out quite a bit i think the reds will finish probably third into the division but i could see them getting second um, but that's just a very, very tough division this year and a very even division. I think the top four teams could all be within 10 games of each other. Yep, I certainly agree. I, I, I figured you'd ask me where I thought they'd finish. And I got them as high as second, but I, but I, could I don't see it. know if uh, – I don't know that they uh, had the pitching, the starting pitching depth to, to really take them to the top. And so that's, who would you say, oh, who go would, ahead. You say would be number, number one? Who do you think is going to win the division? Let's well, see what you think. I don't like – I, I, I'm. <laughs> this is probably going to sound strange, but I, I like the Cardinals. I, I think the Cardinals um, are, are, are set for a good year. I, I don't think the Cubs. You know, the Cubs didn't do much. They, they pretty much remained idle. Um, except for David Ross. Going on, yeah, except for Ross, and I. I was very surprised that they chose him. I Me really too. Was. I think. I think he's a good hire, but I was surprised that they picked him. Mm-hmm. over Girardi. I was really surprised that they didn't make a stronger push for Girardi. Yeah, I thought that Girardi made a ton of sense. He's taken teams to the World Series before. Yes. Why not hire a guy that you could probably get? Instead, they go for a guy who's yep. got no coaching experience. I mean, he was a catcher, so we know that he's the smartest player on the field. But uh, <laughs> besides that, he doesn't have much going for him. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he's... Uh, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. He he's got a good baseball mind. He, he mm-hmm. proved that on uh, on uh, the broadcast. You know, oh, absolutely. He's a great commentator, mm-hmm. great commentator, uh, really great insight. Just uh, really really valuable there. But uh, and I don't see the Brewers doing much either. I I I think that uh, the talk around here is, as you probably know, is uh, you know, there's a lot of doubters out there, and don't let the don't let the doubters. Uh, rule your mind, but I, I'm telling you, I don't. Uh, I would say I, I when there's a lot of doubters, there's probably reason for doubt. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I think the Cubs, as I said, aren't aren't set to to make a push at the division. I think Pittsburgh's really down, of course. Um, and so, I, I mean, I I kind of think the Cardinals are the team to beat. Yeah, I think it's going to be very close. I think that all three of those teams are going to be right around 90 wins. And I could see a team spike up if they get a good, a few good division wins in there. 
They could spike them up a little closer to 100. But I don't see anyone really pulling away in the division. I think it should be a really close race. I like the I like the Cardinals starting rotation better than I do the Reds at this point. I would agree. I could see. I mean, we've got some young, you know, we've got some young arms in Cincinnati, and we'll mm-hmm. have to see uh, how those develop. I mean, it could uh, I could be all wrong, but I like our bullpen, of course. Yeah, there's a lot to happen, and it's going to be a shortened season, so every game is going to have so much more weight to it. It's going to be a interesting a good, season to watch. That's a very good point. Yep. All right, Coach. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we're going to go ahead and slide this in probably somewhere in the middle of the show. So I'll have to edit that, and then I'll post it out and make sure to put it on there so we get an extra few thousand listeners with your name attached. <laughs> All right. Probably, probably, uh, probably three. My two boys and my wife. So the hey, we'll take them. That doubles it. Three so. more than we had. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, oh, thank you, Coach. Fun, you Good fun. to talk to you, too. We'll have to talk okay. again soon. Okay, we'll do. All right. Bye, All Coach. Right, see you, guys. See you, James. See you. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was our interview with Coach Gary Garrison. James, I thought that went well. Yeah. yeah. A little smoother than yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yesterday was a little choppy, so hopefully this uh, will record just fine. I'll post it to the show. <laughs> I did record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. I forgot to hit record. <laughs> just kidding. We're good. All right, James, I'll see you later. This is the Swing Bump Podcast signing off, and stay safe, folks. Goodbye. All right, well, that does it for the show today. Thank you for listening to the Swing Bump Podcast. I do know that we had some technical difficulties today. I'm going to go back and edit it and try to make it sound as seamless as possible. I do believe we lost a few minutes. Um, so if I have to fill in some gaps on my own later, I will do that. But sorry for that, and we do apologize. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Um, with that being said, James and I, after the outro music, will be talking. I'm sorry, Wes and I, after yes. the outro music, will be talking about some Star Wars. And if you want to stick around for that, please do. And we'll catch you next week as we all go through this long, long drought of no baseball. Don't worry, we'll be here for you, thinking of something to talk about. Next week is our NL West preview, and I'm sure we'll be talking about some other crazy things in the world of baseball. Chris, thanks for being on. It was nice to have sure. you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to have you on again sometime. Sure, absolutely. All right, that's a wrap. Enjoy the show. Enjoy your week. Stay safe. Keep your distance. Adios. garage the sawdust that pine saw in the moss around every spring when the winter thaw we'd huddle around the radio twist the broken knob 7 10 a.m no kjr daily house's voice would echo throughout the yard couldn't have been older than 10 but to me and my friends the voice on the other end might as well have been gods 1995 the division series anchors at to bat bottom of the 11th inning got the whole town listening swung on and belted the words distorted joy core rounds third here comes griffey the throw to the place not in time my oh my the mariners win it yes fireworks they lit up that ceiling in the kingdom we had just made history
woven, barely holding that stitch. Creases a time amongst the crime and the All right, Wesley, let's talk some Star Wars. Thank you everyone for listening, for struggling through our technical difficulties. At this point though, it's time to talk some Star Wars. Episode 4 of Season 7 of The Clone Wars is over. It happened on Friday. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I was right. Echo stayed true to the Republic, as I knew he would. But you guys were right. That was kind of where they were going. They wanted to have you have that question, a little bit of doubt about it. Um, very interesting I episode. Yeah. I wish that they would have... The more I watched it now, I was like, man, they could have played that out so much more, though. Because about halfway through the episode... It was confirmed, maybe even less than halfway, that he was true, you know? And the last half of the episode was spent on this bomb. And I was like, okay, the bomb and all, it was interesting and somewhat and kind of tense, but I would have liked to have ten more minutes of this whole mystery of, is Echo really helping? I think that they should have really divulged into Echo struggling with the programming that he had and beating it, you know what I mean? I felt like that would have been yeah. more interesting. I felt like they really yeah, opened... Like they said, hey, look in this door here. And this guy's like, look look at this great story we have. And like you start to walk into it and they close it. And like, no, big bomb. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I yeah, felt like they missed an like, opportunity. Yeah, even if like maybe, you know, maybe he was misprogrammed and had to fight through it or something. Exactly, you know? that's but what they, I'm saying. Uh -huh. I think, that they, I, think I, I agree with you. They might have missed an opportunity there. But still, I enjoyed it a whole lot. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. There were some really cool things that happened. So again, I felt like episode three, or no, episode two was the climax of this episode, or of this arc. So episode two of the four-part arc uh, was when they're actually infiltrating that base, and they get to Echo, and they find out he's alive. I felt like that was the biggest climax of the series. Episode three, they're escaping, and then in episode four, they use the intel that they gathered to destroy the base and to destroy Trench. Trench was honestly, Gronk, nobody, you quiet down. He was one of my favorite villains in the show. I felt like he was always smart and interesting and had a lot of cunning. I always enjoy enjoyed the episodes that he was in. I felt like they were interesting. If you remember, he was back in like the first chronological episode, Cat and Mouse, which I don't know why I remember the name of the episode. I just do. About the stealth ship that could um, disappear off of scanners. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. He was in that episode, and then he was in another one later. Uh, I don't remember what the other episode was that he was in. I always liked the way he said Christophsis. You know, remember that? He says Christophsis, funny. But uh, Vaguely. But then he gets blown up by Anakin, I think, and that's when he gets these... Oh, you know what else? Oh, he was in the episodes with Echo and... Fi I'm sorry, Fives, when Fives was um, discovering the Order 66 inhibitor chip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trench, yeah, Trench was the one that they were fighting against when that when Tup killed the general there. Yep. So I always enjoyed his character. It was awesome to see Anakin uh, get the information out of him and to just totally break Jedi code and Jedi practices of not using fear and not using the dark side, not murdering anyone. I mean, he just went full. I'm saving my men. I care about my men. I care about Obi Wan and Mace, and because. Anakin's primary goal in life is to save as many people as possible. That's what, if you go through, you know, any of the books, the movies, the shows, what is always overriding him is this sense of duty to save as many people as powerful as possible by using his immense power 
And that's what he is always searching for more power for so he can protect the people he cares about. And that was clearly seen right. in this episode. But, uh, you know, you kind of think, like, I know that, you know, we took a long break between season six and season seven. Uh-huh. But, you know, maybe they're kind of playing this off as, you know, uh, you know, Anakin losing Ahsoka. You know, maybe this is the new Anakin that we saw in episode three that, mm-hmm. you know, that, oh, well, you're a Jedi, you wouldn't do this. And even though he's always been, you know, he's always been the little uh, rebel, but, you know, maybe this is the new Anakin that we see after he loses Ahsoka. Yeah, I mean, Ahsoka, think about all the episodes um, where Ahsoka kept Anakin in balance during the Clone Wars. Exactly. You know, exactly. she's like, Master, we can't do that. It's not the Jedi way. Or, Master, we can't do that. Anakin, Sky Guy. <laughs> Anyways. Oh. Um, but, yeah, she really helped hold him in check. I think that they really complemented each other very well. Like you said, all this stuff, Anakin getting more powerful, getting more frustrated with the Jedi Council, continuing to hide his wife, the war continuing on. Having friends die, having clones die all the time, and knowing that he, if people, if he could run the war his way, the war would be over by now. Gronk, no. He would be quiet. And yeah, I think that he is sick and tired of following the Jedi rules, and he wants to end the war the way that he sees fit. Um, And that means that when Trench won't give him the information, he will cut off his arms his robotic arms that don't feel pain. He will cut off his arms and torture him, and then when the guy is threatening to fight back, he'll murder him in cold blood. He doesn't care. He'll stab you to the back of that chair and leave it's you there kinda, to die. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny how they, uh, you know, kind of looking at it from a deeper dis- perspective, you look at, you know, okay, so Anakin, a Jedi, is fine with torturing someone mm-hmm. to get to get the stuff out, which, you know, Guantanamo Bay, whatever, however you feel about it. <laughs> but so there's that. But then the Jedi have no problem sacrificing these clones, kind of what we talked about in the previous episode. Yeah. Kind of a different, kind of a interesting, I'm okay with this, but I'm not, but I'm not okay with that. Yeah, it's something that they, intru- they introduced from the very beginning, and it's a very interesting concept. The very first episode of the show, Ambush, with Yoda and his, like, troop of, or his squad of, like, four or five soldiers, they say... Just go. We'll fight them. We're expendable. We're bred to die. And he's like, "Not to me. You're not. You're you're life forms, which means that you are beings in the force, and you hold great value." And so they say this, but then they still continue to breed them to die. Now, to be fair, this is something that I don't think is really in their decision or in their control. It's a Republic decision, and even without the Jedi, they still would have had the Republic clone troops. I mean, I'm not saying yes, Master Sifo-Dyas started it, but if the Jedi were like, whoa, we don't support this army of clones, the Republic would have been like, okay, big deal, we're going to do it anyways. You know what I mean? But but still, yeah, I mean, the Jedi are here and creating clones of one man to just fight and die. I mean, they're really only the peak of their life is spent in war, because this war lasted over ten years, and these people at the start of the Clone Wars, the clones were only 10 years old because their life, their growth cycle was accelerated. So the time it takes them to get to 20, they were only 10, technically. So that means that by the time the Clone War ends, these guys are like, 
in human years, like 40 years old, and then they their life's practically over if they even live through it. Millions and millions of them died, right? So, like you said, there's so much darkness to all that surrounds it, but the Jedi won't torture a villain, but they'll just let these clones just die needlessly. Yeah, and now we're starting to see the Jedi going a little grayer, you know. Mm-hmm. you know. Of course, in Episode 3, we saw, you know, they're they're okay with telling, keeping a little secret. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe this was a... Uh... Maybe, I mean, not not to say, because Anakin was the one who didn't want to keep the secret. No, but you're right. The uh, Jedi were not in a good place during the Clone Wars. And the, this is why it was so, the Republic was so ripe for Palpatine to take over. Because the Jedi got too political. They got too involved with the Senate. And they got too high and mighty. And at the height of their power, they started to take too much power. Rather than being servants and keepers of peace, they became political figures. And they became... Um, generals and warriors rather yeah. than the Aggressors. exactly and that's why they were able to be deceived by Palpatine and to not be so if they were more uh, independent rather than tied to this system they may have been able to realize the rise of the Sith but because of how they were set up and because of their their mm, what's the word I'm looking for their priorities they just weren't able to you know, really be at the top of their game because they were so blinded by, honestly, power. Palpatine said it. The Jedi seek power, too. Anakin said, the Jedi don't seek power. And he's like, yes, they do. And he was right. The Jedi of that time were totally seeking power and control. And they didn't like that Palpatine yeah. was taking that control from them. You know, I wasn't a huge fan. There was certain scenes in this movie that I was that I, lo- I loved, but Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, Mace Windu, is something that right along what we're saying. He said, we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. Mm-hmm. And by episode three, they're full-blown soldiers yeah. demanding, you know, their soldiers to die. So it's, it's something a contrast in what they were, what they were supposed to be. And I've been going through Rebels uh, by myself lately. Whenever I cook dinner, I decide I'm going to watch Rebels while I cook dinner. It's probably why dinner ends up burnt so many times. But um, <laughs> it's something that's really interesting. Kanan uh, addresses it several times. And he talks about how he does not like the idea of joining this full-blown rebellion to be a soldier again, because that's not what he believes the Jedi are for. He believes the Jedi are to help people and to be keepers of peace and liberators, not soldiers fighting in a war. And he talks about that and how this this uh, po- political system that the Jedi had set up in the capital of the Galactic Republic in Coruscant was not how they were meant to operate. And it's cool. It's a cool thing that at, shortly after Episode Six, um, Luke Skywalker addresses when he built his own Jedi Order. But it's something that we never really got a chance to see in movie t- format. So I'm interested to see uh, what continues to happen with this because going through Rebels, I just watched the episodes where Rex was brought back into it, and he talks about him, Gregor, and Wolf removed their inhibitor chips, and how the last time he saw Ahsoka was in the Siege of Mandalore. He says, I fought with Ahsoka from the Battle of Christosis to the Siege of Mandalore. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so excited because that's what's coming up here in just a few short weeks. So, we have a lot coming. Uh, I'm excited for this next four-story arc. It's going to be talking about Ahsoka in the Underworld, finding out what she does after she left the Jedi Order. Um, I've, I know that some of this arc has been released in storyboard format, so I've intentionally stayed away from it. I don't know anything about this. So I'm excited to see what happens. 
Uh, I'm excited for it to come out Friday. I'll be watching that, so that should be really fun. Yeah, same. I didn't I didn't look at the storyboard, but I have read the the novel, or I've actually listened to the novel. Of, oh yes, uh, me too. The Ahsoka novel. I don't but, uh, know how much know what, that's I mean, going to relate to this, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think this might have been post, or the the novel might have been post that, so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another news. I believe The Rise of Skywalker comes to Disney Plus this weekend. This weekend? Um, I believe so. I may have mis- misread it. Um, I didn't actually read an article. Gronk, stop. Go. Shh. Go away. Go. Um, oh. Oh, it's either it's releasing to Disney Plus either today or tomorrow. So, I don't know. It could be there right oh, now. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty crazy that they released Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. I take it back. The Rise of Skywalker will not be streamed on Disney Plus either today or Tuesday. A Lucasfilm representative told The Verge, there's no update on Disney Plus streaming date at this time. Much like Frozen 2, releasing The Rise of Skywalker earlier than expected is a smart business move for the company. Okay. I know that they released it on, dig- on digital where we could buy it. Like, that I think like that's what ago. I saw. Gronk, you yeah. need to quiet down. You're driving me crazy. So Frozen 2 is on Disney Plus three months earlier than they said. Oh, so people are thinking that The Rise of Skywalker could come out early as well. Okay. Interesting. So DVD and Blu-ray versions of the film will be available on March 31st. And you can buy the digital version now. That's what I saw. Okay. But it's not on Disney Plus yet. Okay. Interesting. Well, there. Very well. Then that's what we have. So I misunderstood that. Um... But I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about about this episode, Grok? I'm, I'm getting cranky. You keep barking at me. You just outside. You just gotta calm down, dude. Calm down. Yes. Okay. Here, I'll pet you. I, there you go. I think. Uh, I think one of the things that we had talked about even before the episode was that powerful moment there at the end. Oh yes. Uh, the salute know, when, when Rex is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Rex is like. You know, if you feel like this is that's your place with them, it's great. You know, or that's what you want to do. That you know, I'll. You know. It was just, and then him going away, that actually surprised me. I thought he was going to say, no, Rex, we're, we're, we're in this till the end of the line kind of deal. Yeah. But, uh, and you know, when I, when I with Bad Batch. I feel like either way would have been pretty, like, I don't know. I don't want to say emotional, but would have been, it would have hit home. You know what I mean? Either way would have had a cool effect. It's like, I'm sticking with your Rex. I know that this is going to be hard, and I know I'm different, but I'm sticking with you. Or the leaving, too. Right, yeah. Uh, I think that. Exactly. Oh. My dog is gnawing on my hand. Stop, Gronk. Just leave me alone. Um, I think it's very interesting, and it was very cool to see. I like to think that... I like to think that um, it's going to mean that Echo lives. Because I'm going to imagine, in my head, then, then the Bad Batch and Echo, they removed their inhibitor chips, and they went on after... They went on after the war to um, not kill any Jedi and are living a happy life off on their own. That's what I'm going to imagine. <laughs> but yeah, so, that, last question. Yeah. Will we see the Bad Batch and Echo again? I don't think so. I think that was like one of those classic Star Wars signing off final views. I don't think we'll see him again. I'd be It'd be cool to see him in the Siege of Mandalore, but I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't. I'm not. I'm not too sure about seeing them either. Um, 
it would be cool to see them, even if it was for, uh, you know, we see them walking by. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. You know what I would love to see before this show ends, and it would be awesome to see it in the Siege of Mandalore. They have four episodes to do it. I want to see a Republic Commando squad in action. I just want to see would it. Be awesome. I mean, it's some one of the coolest um, things in Star Wars are the Republic Commandos. It was a great really video game. Untouched. Yeah, and it was a, the book series. I'm reading through them now. They're very interesting. They had Gregor, um, that that one clone whose memory was wiped. They had him in one episode, and it was one of the coolest sequences. And to see an episode like. If, for instance, if they use Republic Commandos to set up operations in, like, the first episode of the um, Siege of Mandalore arc, if they use the Commandos to infiltrate and to set up a base of operations, that would be so awesome. I would love that episode so much. Um, But I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it should. And something that I think needs to happen, they need to make Republic Commandos sequel video game or make a show, or a live-action show of Republic Commandos, like, get it to be a little bit dark, get it to be a little bit uh, on the edgy side, you know, a little more violent. I think that they could uh, they could reach a whole new fan base with that, and I would love a show like that. It'd be so awesome. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Star Wars version of, I don't know if you've seen it, The Boys, but uh, it's a show on Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah, make it yeah, a little bit cleaner. Cool. Kinda... Yeah. Yeah, a little dark. Well, yeah, a little cleaner than that. Make, but, you yeah, can make like it dark. Like, yeah, a little, little darker. Make it cool. make it all about like Black Ops and the infiltration because they work only in groups of four. They don't work with regular clones. They don't work in platoon size, but they work with high, uh, highly specialized uh, personnel. They work with a lot of explosives. They work on infiltration. Their mission. I mean, it could honestly be like a cool thing, like an eight episode show where they have a mission. Like, that's what this book that I'm reading is. It's a squad of Republic Commandos, and they have one mission to infiltrate this planet stealthily and to destroy the research that is that is being done to create a uh, virus that only affects clones so that it could be a release in the air, right? An airborne virus. And their job is to infiltrate this, this lab and destroy the research and to capture the people who are working on it. And it's really cool. Just a show like that, a live-action show of four clones doing exactly that and going through, you know, eight 40-minute episodes where they're just working on this one mission and they have all these different hurdles that they overcome. I mean, that could be stinking awesome. I would love something like that. Definitely. But Disney's too short-sighted, and they're just going to give us these other shows that, sure, they're great, but man, just uh, overload me with content, and then I'll be happy. Make it so that I can't watch it all, because I don't have enough time. Then you've done enough. Until that point, you're not doing enough, Disney. So, yeah. all you Disney representatives I that are listening to the show. We want more. <laughs> yep. Mas, mas. <laughs> Alright, Wes, I think that's enough for today. I, my wife is... uh. awaiting me so i better get going sounds good all right it's been an an honor and a pleasure um we'll have to talk again soon perfect 20 minutes that's exactly what i said i will talk to you next week when we review episode five we're already half or a third way through the season so episode five next week all right uh, i'll talk to you later wes thank you for listening everybody this has been the swing bunt podcast i'm jake this is wes And we'll catch you next week. Goodbye.